Check one, check one, two, three. Hey everybody, it's Michael Helms, also known as Michael the Sound Guy, and this is the Location Sound Podcast. You know, each episode we talk with location sound mixers, boom ops, and other industry pros about the various aspects of recording sound on location, whether it's for feature and independent films, TV commercials, interviews, any time where dialogue from actors is recorded. I started my career in the recording studios in New York City with some of the big artists back in the day, and later on projects for networks like HBO, Sci-Fi Channel, and the Cartoon Network. As time went by, I got out of the studio and began working in production sound. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or just starting out, thanks for joining us. Okay, my guest today is a production sound mixer in Boom Op based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Please welcome Benjamin Rumbach-Clark. Hey, thanks for having me. So uh, I've been asking a lot of the guests, you know, what was your COVID-19 experience like? Oh, boy. (laughs) Tell us about it. I guess it started off with I planned on taking February and March off, reinvested some some money into my equipment, and uh, was getting set up for a very busy feature season over the summer. A couple of weeks before that was really start to kick off, everything got shut down. So I was kind of dead in the water for a while. The whole time between, was it late March when things started shutting down till just a few months ago, um, there was not much going on. There was a lot of disc golf being played, a lot of research, doing some field recording projects, you know, set up some gear out in different spots, recorded some soundscapes and ambiences and um, you really just started getting back into things maybe two months ago and then I just got back from uh, a feature project literally yesterday feeling good about things but still a big question mark as to when things are really gonna start getting back into full swing of of productions happening so you know now that you're back on set how are things different for you Oh, things are very different for sound department. We got a lot of sanitization um, that we have to be very, very diligent about. We have to, obviously everyone's wearing masks and just hand sanitizers flowing like, uh, like a river on set. We were operating in a kind of a two-stage wristband situation. Red wristbands mean you are not on set. You are... You're a support member. So many of the departments had multiple team members that were one might be on, one or two might be with red wristbands, and then one or maybe two might be with green wristbands so that maybe G&E could could come in, light stuff, but they needed to clear out before talent got on set. And trying to keep things compartmentalized was really the name of the game. Three-time-a-week testing, which... I tell you, never gets easier. Uh, they stick a, a swab up your nose, and they don't stop until they they feel it hit something back there. <laughs> yeah, they got to they got to hit a solid solid wall. Although it's it's a small membrane between your brain, you know, in the back. So you're like, uh, don't don't yeah, don't sneeze or <laughs> they could go right through. Man, well, that sounds like you know they're they're trying really hard because not not all productions are doing that. So that's great. Yeah, it felt very safe. 
there is that added bonus of this particular project takes place in northern Minnesota, and the entire crew was quarantined to a lakeside resort. Different departments had had their own cabins, and there was I think there was twelve cabins on this land. Plenty of space, a lot of lakeside. Everyone was there. Everyone was together. We were tested all the time, and we were. I guess we were pretty confident with the way things were going. You, you know, even even as we got comfortable, we're still taking the precautions. But you know, it, it felt more safe and more comfortable just to know that everyone that's involved has has been doing their due diligence and and being safe about stuff. That's good. Yeah, we were, you know, my wife is actually high risk. She's got asthma. So we were trying to be really careful, actually hyper careful. So we were taking care of everything and, you know, masks and gloves and hand sanitizer, social distancing, all the things you're supposed to do. Uh, we were we were staying, you know, home a lot. And my wife got sick. Mm. And then I got sick right after her. And, you know, so we're sick at the same time. And then we have two daughters and they, they ended up getting sick. But my wife actually, she, I mean, it was a tough for her going through. But, uh, you know, they basically just send you home and say, hey, good luck. If you can't breathe, you know, go to the hospital. Yeah. So it was, that was quite the experience. And, and ended up, my wife, you know, although it was difficult for her, she came through it faster than me. I was down for three weeks. And I had it all. I had the fever. I had the body aches. I had the, you know, the chills. The, I mean, it was just, it was a mess. And, and so I'm just now, you know, coming out of it, you know, in the last couple of weeks. Oh, I'm glad to hear you're all recovering. That's, that's the big thing. And the recovery phase take, takes a while too. So it's like, you don't just snap right out of it. They're saying it could take, you know, it could take weeks to get back to normal. And then they're, now they're finding that some people ended up with, you know, heart and other organ damage from oh, the virus. Wow, yeah. So that's 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 like a new thing. So, yeah, it's it's a real deal. So for those for those people out there listening that, you know, think, "Ah, it's a hoax." It it was not a hoax for me. Yeah, so. I mean, it's it's very clear the the entire world is is dealing with this, but it's definitely been an experience. But also, I guess in Minnesota too, you guys have had a challenging summer with the death of George Floyd. So, what's that been like for you? Things have gotten mostly back to normal. Um, uh, we all we all know what happened with George Floyd, and you know the community came out to to support him and demand accountability from from the police officers involved in in the killing. Which you know it was great to see all that happening, and then we had we had some insiders come in and and try and start this this unrest. You know, entire neighborhoods were terrorized for, you know, several weeks. The police are still kind of stepping back a lot from responding to crime and stuff. But as a as a whole, the city feels like we have, you know, come together and things are getting back to normal. I mean, COVID aside, back to peace and stability, at least. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely been a challenging uh, 2020 for sure. Oh man, yeah, and our friends on the West Coast are all dealing with these wildfires now. It's one one thing after the other, but we all got to stick together and look out for each other in these in these times. And it seems like a lot of a lot of people have been doing that. Well, Ben, as uh, you know, we always talk about as a production sound mixer. Tell us a little bit about what's in your audio kit. So, kind of give us a rundown of your mixer, your recorder, preferred mics, and and everything in between. 
Yeah, sure. I love talking gear, so this will be this is easy. Right now, I'm using a Sound Devices 833. Loving it. I've had it since midwinter and done a couple projects uh, features with it so far and just it sounds fantastic. The feature set is everything you could ask for. I recently started using the Noise Assist plugin, which has come in very handy in a lot of situations. Like, uh, did a did a commercial in an auto garage, and there's a lot of background noises, and the producer was really impressed with the fact that it could do that in real time and still maintain a, a perfectly untouched audio track as well. Um, so yeah, I've been loving I've been loving the 833. Have you used uh, other mixers besides the 833? Oh sure, yeah, I use. So there's a rental house in Minneapolis called Conduit Sound. A little shout out to Jim Morgan over there and and all the guys over there. But uh, it's a Zaxcom house, so I also use uh, Zaxcom Nomads, Diva 24s, and now Novas. Those are also fantastic products uh, for my own taste and workflow preferences. I do prefer the sound devices system, but um, the, the Zaxcom has some features that aren't in any other system, and it is it is a great system as well. Yeah, I definitely use all sorts of gear. Previous to this winter, I was using a Zoom F8 recorder mixer for, for like lower budget stuff. Yeah, most of my time is either Zaxcom or sound devices. As far as microphones go, I guess our friends that are listening can't see, but that's a Sennheiser MKH50. Love the sound of this mic for anything I can, I don't need to problem solve, you know. It's pretty much the most popular thing on the end of the boom for me. Uh, sounds so smooth, maybe a little bit of a low-end boost. Um, just a great sounding mic. And if I do have problems to solve, I, I bust out the Sankin CS3E shotgun mic. That thing is incredible. The uh, the isolation that it offers. It kind of has a laser focus. You got to be quite accurate with your booming, but it it sounds fantastic and if you if you need to isolate from background sounds or you know, you can't get very close because of a wide shot, that that makes an appearance in a lot of those situations. My wireless I'm using Sony UWPs in my own personal kit. The Zaxcom kits that I use from Conduit are fully kitted out Zaxcom ecosystem. So those all work together great. But uh, Now with the Zaxcoms, you can actually change the frequencies and gain and everything from the mixer itself. So you don't even have to get mm-hmm. close to the to the transmitter, correct? Yeah, it's a, it's a great feature, especially when you have a lot of wires out. You'll be sitting at a cart with a, a mixing surface that will have a hands-on control for your gain, and then you can easily select new new frequencies if you are coming up with wireless problems. Don't they have a built-in IFB as well? Uh, yep, the IFBs are they run on the 2.4 gigahertz spectrums. They don't have the greatest range, so it's one of those things where you try and get the cart kind of near Video Village, so. So everyone can hear, but you also got to be close to set so so they can get their uh, camera hop feeds. Those IFBs are are really great because they also feature time code. Um, so that same unit, you slap one on a camera, you're giving them time code and a scratch audio track just from one box and one kind of splitter cable that would come out of that. 
um, which is which is also great. The feature I just got off of, I was boom operating and I was testing out their new URX series IFB, which is a UHF version of that kind of thing, which still does get time code and audio as well. Uh, with the added feature that you can tune into the individual transmitters from the IFB, so that say I'm I'm away from set and I'm miking talent where where wardrobe is happening, I can really quickly tune into their transmitter, give it a quick listen, make sure that the mic placement is going to be great for for what we are doing, and you know I don't have to be at the mixer to do that. It's just a really cool feature. Yeah, that's great. I am on my kit using uh, the Sennheiser G4 system for for IFBs. They have great range, they sound good, and they're rock solid. You can drop one of those things a hundred times, and it's it's not going to crack. All right, what kind of uh, what kind of batteries do you like to use? I'm using the Inspired Energy series of smart batteries. They do a battery change at lunch, and that'll get me through an entire day. I keep some really tiny. L-mount batteries on the back of the unit just for backup. I probably don't need them, but, you know, they're there just in case. Okay. What batteries do you put in your, your transmitters and receivers? Oh, the uh, the Panasonic Eneloops. They're a great battery. It, they've never failed me. They they just work. They last a long time. I just got some, some of the IDST chargers for those, which let you dial in your amperage for how quickly they're going to charge. So I, I charge them really slow, so they hopefully will maintain their life. But you could also, if you need them fast, you can you can bump it up and get them to charge uh, in just a couple of hours. Oh, I've been really loving those chargers, which it sounds like a small thing, but they they really do offer great, great uh, feature set. Oh, that's, that's, that's great. That's, yeah, it's the first time I've we've talked a little bit about that, so that's cool. Well, let's see. Uh, so what, what uh, lav mics do you like to use? Um, pretty much everything I use is the Sankin Cos 11s. They're more or less indestructible. You know, they're, they're getting yanked on by talent. They're getting misted by hairspray. They're getting fake blood on them. They're, they're getting wiped down, you know, multiple times daily. And they, they, still, they still keep ticking. And that's that goes for my own kit and anything that I rent is almost always going to come with Cos Elevens. And uh, tell us about time code. Uh, time code. I'm on the Tentacle Sync system. It's easy, very fast to do. You can you can do a really quick check, you know, with the with the app on your phone, and it's kind of a set it in the morning and give it a quick jam at lunch when you're changing batteries and. Another thing that lasts me all day without really worrying too much about. All right. Let's see, did we cover everything in the bag? Anything else in there that you'd like to... You know, I keep an assortment of extra cables, a little little tiny notebook. Uh, the Bumblebee Lav Concealers are something I've really dove into over the past year. It's like a little rubber mount. It has a removable clip, so you can clip it onto the inside of the buttons on a shirt or you could clip it onto a bra wherever you need to clip something but you can take that off if you want to use uh, top stick and and stick it directly to some fabric or skin or something and they, they also feature just a little wire guard over where the mic peeks out and that's a feature I haven't seen before on any of the other lav concealers but 
it actually prevents fabric from rubbing on the mic and the the rubber of the mount. It, it keeps them dead silent. It's I think that was the biggest upgrade in the smallest package I could possibly do. Bought, bought a couple of those and instantly just fell in love. It's so simple and they sound great. Mm. Well, speaking of expendables, what other expendables do you use? Yeah, I suppose I, I keep a standard selection of moleskin, overcovers, undercovers. Um, I always keep the tie clips and the, the wind balls that come with the Sankins. If I'm doing some kind of corporate video or something where it doesn't matter if the mic's showing I'm all, always going to push to have the mic showing and clipped on the outside just you know just it just sounds better there's no chance that fabric's going to rub on it and I try and get away with those whenever whenever I'm allowed I saw that you worked on it was the NCAA Final Four 2019 you were a sound mixer for that can you tell us a little bit about that experience Yeah that was a really it was a wonderful experience. It was crazy to see the huge amount of production that went into that event. I think every sound mixer in town was busy working in that stadium. Walking through the halls, you'd see you'd see people you know. It's like, hey, everyone's everyone's working. But yeah, I my particular job was I was working with CBS as a behind the scenes team following. I'm not a I'm not a sports guy, so I can't even remember the team I was following. But I was with them whenever something would happen. I'd be there, uh, practices, interviews, press conferences, and you know anything the team was doing. Essentially, I had did have some chunks of downtime, but then I'd I'd get a phone call from the producer. Hey, we're gonna be here in ten minutes. Meet us there. This is happening. Be ready with this, and we'd, we'd zip across the stadium meet up and do the interview or get b-roll of a practice or some behind the scenes of another commercial shoot it was it was very constant there's always something happening and always a hundred people that were doing something it was it was quite impressive to see the just the sheer amount of production that went into such a large sport event what was the kind of the typical wiring or or miking setup you had to do um frankly i was just running around with a bag and a boom i had a wireless handheld stick mic for my producer when she was performing interviews and it was 90% of my day was pointing the boom at whoever was talking. That sounds like a lot of fun. It, it was fun. It was very tiring. Hours were, were long and irregular, but great, a great experience. Now, what was the time code set up? How did you guys uh, have time code? Uh, I was using a Zaxcom rig, so it was the, it was the ERX time code and audio coming out of the same box and I had I actually ended up having several different ones set up because they had me jumping between camera crews kind of quickly so I had one set up for the Sony FS7 and I had one set up for red and I had one more set up for the the other camera the the third guy I, I would regularly work with was using all right cool Let's see. I was looking at something else. You did a, a movie. I think it was a Christmas break-in back back in the 2018, and it you had Danny Glover and Denise Richards. And so, tell us a little bit about that uh, that experience. Oh, sure. That was a fun movie. It's kind of a Home Alone type type vibe. Elementary school girl gets locked into the school over Christmas break, and then the robbers situation happens. I won't give too much away since I know everyone's going to watch it on Netflix. But it was it was a really good experience. 
Uh, we shot up in Duluth in the winter, so we were all bundled up and, you know, working inside, inside of the school, but also working outside, and I, f I felt like we had a little bit of a breakfast club going on, because we were all, company moves were across this elementary school, and we're, we're zigzagging down the hallways, and there'd be 10 of us going, pushing carts, and you'd see another, another set of crew members go down a different hallway, as as you're looking, it was really fun. A um, lot of lot of great crew members that I've become friends with on that shoot, and yeah, there's there was some bigger talent. Those they were they were fantastic to work with. Uh, at one point, we were we were shooting in a barn, and I I had put a mask on because I was getting I was getting allergic to there's like hay and dust in the air, and I was starting to get sniffly and sneezy and. Denise was like, I'm going to find you some allergy medicine. And she went and, and tracked me down some, some Zyrtec or some, whatever the, I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but like a, an antihistamine to get it under control. She was so sweet. And so, so the child actress, Cameron, she was fantastic. She, she was a lot of fun to work with. She was playing jokes on people throughout the set. I think, I think a whoopee cushion came out as it was a good time had by all. That's great. Now, uh, any any unique miking situations with that? I don't think we did anything too out of the ordinary. It was it was the kind of thing where often I'll teach uh, an actor to mic themselves, and kind of makes it easier so that I can I can hand them the mic with whatever mounting device or, or sticky stuff or moleskin whatever is going to be on it. They know where to stick the mic, and then. While they're doing that, I can make sure the pack is, is tucked into a waist strap or an ankle strap or whatever. I think for that particular movie, it was it was more or less straightforward. Okay. Now, uh, what's been your most favorite project so far? I have a couple really good memories of, of some fantastic projects. One of my first small features that I did just by myself as a one-man sound crew was called Max Bishop, a really fun project a lot of heart and soul, incredibly funny, very very well made, um, and it was it was kind of a one man show. The producer, director, writer, kind of he took the reins. You know, he made everything happen, and and it happened well. We had a great crew. I have such an attachment to that movie just because of the uh, the wonderful experience and all the great friendships that came out of that. And another one that that I made or I worked on in New York a few years ago, uh, it was called What Breaks the Ice. Check that one out in the Woodstock Film Fest this year. So that's going to be its its premiere event. Another fantastic experience. Wonderful crew. The the writer, director, producer, uh, Rebecca Escrees. Phenomenal storyteller. She had a vision. And the director of photography, Greta Zazula, amazing amazing skill went into this this film and it's it's kind of a tragic and hard story but it's told in such a such a way that it's a pretty beautiful movie i have seen it it's it's really great but uh i guess y'all could see it in uh at the woodstock film festival if you want to log on to to their events this year all right now uh, tell us how you got started in production sound so i guess Sound in general, uh, I've been doing recording projects for my own bands going back to high school. 
going into a laptop or a computer with a, a sound card from a mixer board or whatever mics we could scrounge together to make something happen. Um, I, I eventually got into computer music uh, using Ableton Live and modular synthesizers and drum machines. Um, and I did a lot of music for a number of years, played in a few bands, um, really enjoyed doing that kind of thing. But as far as production sound goes, so when I moved to Minneapolis, I was working as a bartender. And I, I guess I fell in with a crowd of folks that were regulars at the bar I worked at that were all filmmakers. I volunteered on a, a horror shoot for a pilot. I was a PA. And it turned out that the sound guy was another of my customers that I talked sound gear with all the time. So I was like, oh, this is what you do. And he's pulling out his sound card out of his car. And he's like, yeah, come, come help me with this stuff. And so I guess even in that very first moment on set, I was, I was already like edging my way towards the sound cart whenever I could to talk to those guys about what was going on. And so Jim kind of recognized that I was really interested and he invited me back to his place, the uh, conduit sound I mentioned earlier, to let me play with the Zaxcom gear and go through all of the, all of the menus and the gear and set stuff up and play with it. And then he started sending me out on, on smaller jobs and as a boom operator with more experienced mixers. And then I, I kind of was like, wow, I've never in my life known what I wanted to do with my time. And in that moment, I was like, this is what I got to do. So I started selling off some of my music making gear and reinvested it into microphones, wireless recorders and, and that kind of thing. And just a uh, snowball effect, made friends, made connections, and every time a project ends, my phone rings and something else pops up. That's great, you know, and that's a, that's a good networking technique, you know, become a bartender, <laughs> and then some of your, your customers are going to be on, on film crews and stuff. That's, that's pretty cool. I've never heard that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a, the, the place was a little neighborhood kind of diner. We did, we did craft cocktails and really good food. And so, so I'd see just people from the neighborhood, and the the studio that I mentioned is in the neighborhood. Just all sorts of crew that lives in the neighborhood. That as I work on more and more projects, uh, oh yeah, you live just over by me. That's it's a it's a small town. It's a small big city. All right, now you got to tell us like what's your favorite craft cocktail? Oh wow, um, there's a Scotch drink called a Blood and Sand. It's a Scotch cherry hearing a little bit of orange juice. It's a smoky, sweet, strong, delicious drink. It's it's not super common. You might have to teach the bartender how to make it, but uh, I think a lot of craft places or classic cocktail places would know how to make that. Uh, actually, through my work as a bartender, I stopped drinking. Um, it was a world where I was, I was partying a lot and Right around the time I started diving into production sound, I realized I don't need to be wasting my energy and money doing that. So uh, I saved that money and put that all into into buying batteries and wind covers and wireless units and whatnot. You know, it's true because you know when you you kind of hang out with the bartender and they're like, "Hey, do some shots with us," and you know, and you've got people doing that all night long. That could that could be tough. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and if. 
you know, if you got to shoot the next day, you don't want to be, you don't want to be showing up uh, smelling like, like you just got out of the party and went right on the set or something. Well, for some of our listeners who may not know about getting into the union, you joined the union. So tell us, you know, what was your experience and, and how did you get in? Like, how did all that start? Okay. So, um, there is a union, uh, Ayatsi Local 490 in Minneapolis. There's not a whole lot of union features that come here, but there is a lot of commercial and corporate work that is union. So I, I guess I, I knew a, a few people that I worked with regularly that were already in the union. They kind of gave me the advice as to, okay, maybe you don't need to do it now. But then there was a time where it was like, Okay, we're starting to need you on these union shoots, so maybe now's the time. You should you should start looking into um, getting references. I I had to get several letters of recommendation from people I worked with, directors and producers and department heads that I had worked for. Tracked those down. They wanted a lot of information about the hours that I've spent on sets. Uh, they wanted to know that I was you know committed and not not someone who is just trying to to do this to move on to something else and there were, there was a lot of back and forth communication they were they would get back to me about maybe another thing that they wanted to see about they wanted to make sure that I had lived in Minnesota for a couple years so i had to track down some some old utility bills and and stuff like that just to say okay no i live here I, this is this is me i'm the guy I uh, had uh, a couple of other members of the union personally vouch for me, and uh, there was some entry fees and some other stuff I had to do, some safety training through IATC that you know, it was basic on-set safety stuff, which to myself seemed like common sense, but they, I guess they want to make sure everyone has that kind of a, a teamwork and safety-oriented mindset going into sets if they're going to represent the union. But at the end of the day, it was it came down to getting sworn in one day, and then you're a member of the union, a large union of people who work in the fields, can offer advice, can offer support, uh, and connections and networking. Now, how has your career changed since you joined the union? Oh, I've I've done a few union commercials. That that's a great level up in the uh, the pay scale that you're going to experience, but also the demands are higher. Quite frankly, I haven't done a whole lot of union work, but it's the type of thing that I'm I'm available if and when that work pops up. So I think uh, as a somewhat newer member of the production sound community, I've been, I've been doing this about three and a half years now, I would think it even adds some legitimacy to myself. They may not see 10 years of experience, but they see they do see some good experience, and they see that I am a union member, which should tell them I take this very seriously. And uh, I don't know if it has changed my world too much, but, you know, it's just another way of getting more involved, continuing in this field, and just taking everything to the highest level I possibly can. And, and also, too, the fact that you've, you haven't been in the industry that long... You know, what, what else would you attribute to moving up as, as quickly as you have? I think the, the biggest thing is probably my demeanor on set. I try and take the work very seriously, but in like my personal communications on set, you can, you can be funny and lighthearted and 
you know, interact with people in a fun way while, while taking your job very seriously and respectfully asking for what you need when you're not necessarily taken care of all the time in the sound department. All right. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. That's good for people to hear, too. You know, people just starting out and things like that, so that, that's good to know. Yeah, I mean, no one wants a, a grouchy crew member on set. It, it spreads. Everyone gets grouchy by the end of the day just from one person who's, who's got that bad attitude. So if you can keep a positive mental attitude, do your job, do it well, those people are going to call you back. Almost all of my work comes directly from personal references and word of mouth. Well, we always ask this question, but you don't have to mention any names or places, but tell us your worst on-set experience. The first thing that comes to mind is, is a technical and sound-related thing that happened on the feature that I just got back from. So this movie required a lot of work on the water. At some points, I was in fishing waders, standing up to my chest in water with a boom pole in my hands. But the biggest problem that we constantly ran into was the water splashing against the hull of the boats and reverberating up into the mic. We were shooting on a flotilla of several pontoons. At one point, there's a jet ski several smaller tin boats as support for everyone. They were making runs to shore and getting supplies and stuff like that, taking people to the bathroom. Um, And then there's also the picture boat. We tried everything. We wrapped a, a wall of pool noodles, those foam noodles, around the boats to try and prevent the waves from lapping against the hull and... It's like a, it's a percussive sound. It's it's loud. You can't hide from it. And then how many eight or ten boats out there, or something like that? Or I'd say usually there was four to five. Sometimes there was a few more than that. We also had support from fishermen. There was a couple of shots where we wanted our talent to pull a a fish out of the water before she releases it. So we had a fisherman that was there catching us fish to use in the shots. So lots um, of noise. <laughs> lots of noise, man. We, we were lining boats with furniture pads. We were blocking off the front of the pontoons so the echoing didn't travel towards the, uh, the picture boat. And, you know, we, we recorded a lot of wild lines. And I think, I think there is going to, unfortunately, be some ADR for some of these the windier days where the waves were higher. We did luck out on several days and have absolutely no wind, which... On those days, it was actually, it was quite nice out there. There's, there was no background sounds and it, it sounded fantastic. But the, uh, the constant struggle of those waves lapping it against the boat was about enough to drive a two-man sound team nuts. <laughs> now, what ended up being the most effective in kind of reducing that, that noise? The, I think the pool noodles in a, in a circle, or like tightly around the boat that we were shooting into. It stopped the waves from actually slapping against the hull. Um, now this is a very small aluminum fishing boat, so that the sound would just travel straight through that aluminum and be amplified up towards the mics. So uh, for our situation, that was definitely what helped us the most. Uh, that idea came from one of our pontoon captains, who was a, I, I would say, your classic idea of a 
a northern Minnesota lakes guy, fisherman. He was great. He tried he tried everything. He's like, got these I got these noodles, they're gonna prevent the waves and we tried it and it it surprised everyone, but it, it worked and we stuck with it. Well, now are there any other nightmare situations you've you've had on set that you can share? There there have been times where productions have been approached by homeless people or people who are looking to cause trouble. Um, I've shot around New York City a little bit, and there was a little bit of that. Most people don't care, and they just want you to get out of their way. Uh, most people don't even care and, and are just annoyed that you're in their way, but there is sometimes people who, who latch on that something's happening, and they want to they wanna get involved, or they want to cause trouble, or, or whatever, whatever the case may be. And I've, there's definitely been some awkward situations with outsiders approaching production and how to, how to deal with that, but... I feel like I've been pretty fortunate where I haven't had too many truly bad situations on on set. Most of the people that I've worked with have been very thoughtful and and everything's been safe and communication's been good. So I I feel lucky in that in that sense. Yeah. All right. Now, uh for for some of our listeners maybe just getting started in the industry, do you have any advice that you could share with them? Um yeah, I guess the biggest thing would be to just keep moving forward. If you if you're volunteering on set, if you're meeting people, if they're recognizing that you're a hard worker, that's going to be exponentially more effective than just about anything else I could possibly think of to to forward your career. Even if you're coming in as a PA at the, you know, one of the lower levels of production, as everyone you work with starts moving up and getting bigger projects, they're still going to remember you and they're going to remember how you act on set and, and your work ethic. Um, so I think just your on-set demeanor is the biggest thing that you can do. First thing, be there, be on set, volunteer if you have to. But once you're there, make sure you're behaving yourself and, and treating it like a workplace with a balance. You don't have to be, you don't have to be a robot. You know, it is, it is nice that we in this field have a somewhat fun work environment a lot of the time and we can joke around with each other and we may have downtime to we're making friendships on set all the time and i think that's what has carried me into into this career all right well well ben as as we kind of close things up here uh what's what's the best way for people to connect with you online so i have a i have a website benrc.myportfolio.com i'm also on facebook Instagram at BRC Sound. Frankly, shoot me an email, shoot me a, a Facebook message, any any way works. But email is usually the, the easiest. BRC Sound and Media at gmail.com. Cool. All right. I want to say thanks to Benjamin Rumbach Clark for being on the show today. Hey, thanks very much for having me. I had a great time talking about uh, location sound. And I'd like to say thanks to everyone for listening. If you have questions or would like us to discuss a particular topic, email us at locationsoundpodcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, remember, sound is half the picture. <laughs>